You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. What I'd like to do is, you guys weren't here uh, the first two weeks. Uh, we can kind of just recap where, where we've been, what we've been talking about. Um, and then we'll get into today's sermon, uh, which is uh, specifically we're talking about the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, what is it that actually happened in the crucifixion? Um, and, uh, and how does that actually, how was the crucifixion uh, the, the means in which Christ injected grace into a broken world? Uh, just as a way of reminder, I uh, just want to remind everyone, the first week that we were here, uh, Ovi did a great job um, in, uh, in kind of our first, our first sermon uh, and uh, we talked about depravity. And if anyone remembers that, uh, it was, it's kind of a, a, a sombering uh, message, but it's this idea of all humans are depraved. Uh, because we have Adam as our father, uh, we also inherit our father's sin nature. Uh, and depravity is not something we, we often think about, like our sin nature is something like we're human and then we also just have like sin on top of us. But really what sin nature, at least biblically, uh, sin nature is something that's it's kind of ingrained in us. It's not on top of us or added to us. It's in us. It's who we are. It's kind of woven into what we do, how we think, uh, and all of that. So this sin nature, like this nature of sinfulness is another way to translate that. And it's this thing that's ingra- so deeply ingrained that the Bible is very clear that it's, it's almost as if in our natural carnal state, we don't want anything to do with God. And so it's this horrible situation that all men find themselves in is how in the world could we save ourselves even if we knew how to save ourselves, right? It's almost as if the only people that could fix themselves are perfect people who don't need to be fixed, right? That one too hot? Oh, okay, all right. So we talked about this idea of depravity and it's, it's this, we're in this hopeless situation. We're just hopelessly broken, yet Christ injects his grace into our world. It's how a holy God relates to sinful men. And so Christ steps into our brokenness. He steps into our broken world. He lives a perfect life that we were supposed to live. And then he dies on our behalf so he can extend grace to us. And that was kind of the next sermon that we talked about is actually God stepping in. Uh, and again, this is, this is very clear. The scripture is very clear that, again, we don't save ourselves. We don't step to God. It's God stepping to us. It's we, we don't save ourselves. It's God coming to us and saving us. It's perfect God taking on human flesh, walking among us, showing us how to live a perfect life, living the life that we should have lived, and then paying the death that we should have paid so that we can now participate in grace. So that last week, we talked about uh, kind of the crucifixion. We talked about Christ's sacrifice. But this week, we're going to get a little bit more specific on the crucifixion. And, uh, and I kind of have two points for us today. Um, and both of them are going to stem out of this idea that Christ chose the cross. And I want to make that very clear. And we're going to look at this. Uh, is that at every step along the way throughout the crucifixion, it was Jesus choosing the cross. It's not that it was something that happened to him. It wasn't forced on him. It wasn't some, some ride that he just kind of like got swept up into and he couldn't get out of it. We'll, we'll look at this, but it was Jesus actually chose the cross. At every step in the way, the crucifixion was dead on arrival. It was stalling out. His trials kept, kept dying, but it was Jesus that kept them going. 
And so if Jesus chose the cross, why would he choose the cross? And there's two points to this. So Jesus chose the cross for a lot of reasons, but we're going to talk about two of them. So Jesus chose the cross, uh, firstly, so that he could testify to the truth. So he could testify to the truth. The second reason why Jesus chose the cross is so that we could die with him, so that we could be crucified with him. And it sounds like terrible news, but it's not. We'll get there. Just bear with me. So before we, uh, we look into our text for today, I would like to just pray, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and get into uh, God's word. Dear God, I just thank you for today, and uh, I thank you for everything that you've given to us. Um, and uh, even this rain, uh, it, I know that, uh, that just everything around us needs the rain so desperately. <clears throat> and I appreciate you, uh, you giving this gift, um, and even the food that you provided earlier. Um, <clears throat> but most importantly, I thank you for uh, your son uh, giving us uh, your one and only son and, uh, and a means in which we can, uh, we can know you and, um, and find reconciliation um, between us. And I also want to thank you for this church um, and uh, just this body of believers that, um, that you continue to build this church. And I ask that you just, uh, you deepen our faith with each other, um, uh, within each other, and, uh, and that we, we come to know you uh, all the more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we are going to be in John 18. At least we're going to start in John 18. <clears throat> we're going to, uh, this is the, uh, um, the crucifixion account found in John. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to skip over a good bit, uh, specifically the part uh, that does uh, kind of talk about the, his trial before Caiaphas. Caiaphas is a guy, he was a high priest uh, at the time, and, uh, and Jesus was betrayed by Judas for a little bit of context. Uh, he was already taken before the high priest. Uh, and Annas, who was uh, Caiaphas's stepfather or father-in-law. And uh, so he already had his trial before the high priest. Um, and again, we're skipping over this, but this is an important point. I want to make sure we understand this. Uh, even before his trial before the high priest, uh, if we look at the other accounts and even in John, we know that false witnesses were brought to testify against Jesus. And the false witnesses, they kept contradicting each other. And again, the trial, we, this is the first time we find that the trial was kind of dead on arrival. They couldn't pin Jesus with anything. And it kind of looked like the trial was stalling out. Nothing was happening. And finally, Caiaphas just stands up and he's like, why don't we just ask him if he's the son of God? And even then, Jesus kind of had an out. But, uh, but then what does Jesus say? He says, in fact, I tell you, the next time you see me, I'll be sitting on the judgment seat of God. And Caiaphas is like, that's it. We got him. We finally got him because that's blasphemy, right? No one sits on the judgment seat of God except for God. And that's true, <laughs> right? Jesus is going to sit on the judgment seat of God because he is God. And that's, that's where we, again, we find the situation where even his trial before Caiaphas, it was dead on arrival, but Christ is the one that moved it along. Christ is the one that says, listen, I am God. And he moves the trial up. Do we see that? He's the one that's choosing the cross this whole time. And now fast forward to John 18, verse 34. We find uh, that Jesus was brought before Pilate. And in the book of John, Jesus's uh, interaction with Pilate is probably the most, um, uh, we get the most detail between Jesus and Pilate's interaction in the book of John. So verse 34, um, I'm sorry, verse uh, 33. Therefore, Pilate entered the praetorium again and summoned Jesus and said to him, 
Uh, you are king of the Jews. Now the Praetorium is just where Pilate resided, right? And this is also where, um, or just outside the Praetorium is where the judgment seat was. So he asked Jesus, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, um, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. And for this purpose, I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after saying this, he came out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no grounds at all for charges in this case. So we'll stop there and, uh, and just kind of talk about this for a little. Here we actually uh, start seeing uh, the, the first and the second point kind of coming together um, or the idea that Jesus chose the cross to testify of the truth. And here Jesus actually just says very plainly, I am a king. And again, what we see here is that would be a rebellion. In Rome, if you went up to a Roman, uh, Roman governor and said, I'm a king, that would be in complete opposition to Caesar, who is the only king in Rome. And that would be grounds for execution or at the very least punishment or severe punishment. So this would be bad, but how did Jesus phrase it? He said, I am a king, but it's not of this realm. And again, what we're seeing is this idea that the trial's kind of stalling out. Did they actually have anything on Jesus? And Pilate seemed to think, no, he's a king of nothing. Who cares? His king, he's a king of something that's not of this realm. It's not of this world. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have servants. He's a king of nothing. Who cares about this guy? Worst case scenario, he's a lunatic, right? Best case scenario, uh, he's just, I don't know, making it up. Who knows? So this, this is the situation. And, and again, the, the trial is just kind of dead on arrival. It's just not going anywhere. And we'll see this over and over. Pilate's trying to get out of this. He doesn't want to crucify this guy. He's trying not to. And, uh, and so this is why Pilate is just asking him point blank. What have you done? Um, what have you done to make your high priests hand you over? And so Jesus, he claims to be a king. But again, he gives reason to believe that his kingdom is not anything that Pilate needs to worry about. But Jesus goes on and, uh, and he says, this is why he's come. And this is the most important part. I wanna camp out here for a little bit. So uh, Jesus says, uh, you say correctly that I am a king and for this purpose, I have been born. And for this, for this I have come into the world and what is it? Why has he come? To testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, this, uh, this is a pretty loaded statement uh, because he doesn't really explain what the truth is. Truth about what, right? Or what is the truth pertaining to? And what's interesting is that this interaction with, between Jesus and Pilate is very similar to another interaction that Jesus has between him and his disciples. It's almost the same exact situation where his disciples seem to be mostly unaware of who Jesus is. So if we back up 
uh, just three chapters, John 14. There's a lot of passages that talk about Jesus and the truth. What does he mean by the truth? What is the truth that Jesus is talking about? However, uh, this passage does seem to capture it well. John 14, uh, Thomas and Philip are going to have an interaction with Jesus uh, that really kind of gives some clarity to what is the truth that he has come to testify. So John 14, one, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there also you will be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to me except, no one comes to the father except through me. And here we get this very plain statement that Jesus is the truth. He is the way, he is the life. So when he tells Pilate that he came to testify of the truth, what is this truth that he's testifying of? He's testifying of himself, but we get even more information in verse seven. Jesus goes on and says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, uh, have I been with you for so long a time and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? And again, we get this very interesting interaction. <laughs> you all right? All right. <laughs> You're protecting the ground? All right. <laughs> so, uh, there's this very interesting interaction between Jesus and Philip where Philip is asking, well, just show us the father. And Jesus is like, I'm here. You're looking at him. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he just told Thomas that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And so now what we're finding is this, this interaction of what is this truth that Jesus is testifying? What is he revealing? And what is being revealed in Jesus choosing the cross? And what we're finding is that what's being revealed in him choosing the cross is that he testifies to the truth. And the truth is that God has stepped into mankind's brokenness. That the father is accessible to us through Jesus Christ. And this is the truth that's been revealed to us. And this is a truth that's actually being revealed in the cross specifically. And the reason why it had to be the cross and nothing else is again, this interaction uh, just paints it very clear. Jesus is talking to his disciples. John 14 is toward the end of his ministry. He had already been with Philip and Thomas for quite a while. They had seen miracles. He had already called himself the son of God multiple times. Uh, they're, they're, they had spent all this time with Jesus and they're still confused about who Jesus is. They still don't understand that he is the physical manifestation of the father. All of this is just lost to them. And then when we go to, to John uh, 18, we also see that he was, he was, uh, it was lost on the high priest. It was lost on Pilate. Nobody understood who Jesus was. 
So Jesus's ministry wasn't meant to reveal who Jesus was. Jesus's ministry was meant to show people that God's grace has come in, but the crucifixion was meant to testify of the truth. And that truth is that we have opportunity and we can interact with the Father through Christ. This is the truth that Jesus came to testify of. And again, we know this because he just told Philip, if we see Christ, if we know Christ, then we know the Father. And Jesus is the truth. And so when we go back to Jesus's interaction with Pilate, it's this very inter- interesting interaction where he says, you, are, you say correctly that I am a king. And for this purpose, I was born. And for this, I've come into the world. And that is to testify of the truth. What truth? That the Father is accessible to us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he has done. I've come to testify of the truth. And then he goes on and says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said, what is truth? And again, we see this exact same situation. It's Philip is looking at Jesus and says, show us the father. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. And here we see Jesus looking at, or he's talking to Pilate. And he says, I've come to testify of the truth. And Pilate looks right at truth personified and says, what is truth? You see how this is a very similar story. And so this truth that Christ came to testify of, it is that the father has come that is accessible to us. And the crucifixion makes this known. But why is it the crucifixion that makes this so clear to us? And we find this a little bit more detail in John 19. We're going to skip ahead over some of the detail. We're going to go to verse four, John 19, four. It says, and then Pilate came out again and said to them, see, I am bringing him out to you so that you will know that I find no grounds at all for charges in his case. So what's happened is basically Pilate went out to the Jews, said, I find nothing wrong with him, but just for good measure, uh, he had Jesus beaten, flogged, uh, a crown of thorns put on his head and a purple robe. It's just for good measure. Um, Cause I guess he didn't want to seem like he was going soft. So he prays Jesus out and says, see, I'm bringing him out to you so that you will know that I find no grounds at all for charges in his case. And Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. So when the chief priests and officers saw him, they shouted saying, crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to him, take him yourself and crucify him. For I find no grounds for charges in his case. So this is uh, at this point, this is the third time that Pilate has told them, I find nothing wrong with this man. Verse seven, the Jews answered him, we have a law and by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me now? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who has handed me over to you has the greater sin. And as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews shouted saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. And therefore, 
When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment, judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, it was Gabbatha. So here we get this very interesting interaction between one last interaction between Jesus and Pilate. The Jews say that he has to be killed because he called himself the son of God and this terrified Pilate. Now, what's interesting about this is we find out in, I believe it was in the book of uh, Mark, that uh, Pilate's wife had a dream about Jesus and, uh, and she sent a message to Pilate, basically telling Pilate, have nothing to do with this man because I was tormented all night because of a dream because of him. And so Pilate, obviously that would be slightly terrifying. And then to find out that this guy is claiming to be a king, but not of this world. And then finding out that he claimed to be a son of God. Pilate was rightfully uh, terrified to have anything to do with this. And so he brings Jesus in and he threatens him, tells me and says, tell me, where did you come from? And then he tells me, it tells him, um, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and crucify you? But what does Jesus say? You have no authority at all. That's not your own. Your authority only comes from above. Your authority is an illusion. It's not actually your own. You can't actually do anything with your authority that wasn't already allowed. And so Jesus, in saying this, he says that you have no authority And he says, what's even more is the greater sin lies on the person that handed handed me over. What does he mean by this? What is he saying? In this very weird kind of twist of events, Pilate had had Jesus beaten, flogged, mocked. Uh, People are shouting for his death. And here Jesus is actually comforting Pilate. He's telling Pilate that this has to happen. He's the one that's telling Pilate, no, 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 you you don't even have the authority to stop this, let alone make it happen. Jesus is telling Pilate that it's the greater sin lies on the Jews who have handed me over. It's not on you. Pilate's trying to get out of this in every way that he can think of and he can't get out of it. And Jesus is the one that's comforting Pilate and saying, just let it happen. This has to be this way. How in the world did this happen? That this man who is being beaten, mocked, and and people are shouting for his death, he's comforting his executors. And so again, what we see is he came to testify of the truth. And what is this truth? It's this, it's this grace, it's this love. And this is why the crucifixion is what reveals the truth. Because what is God? He is love. He's giving us grace. How is it that God is, could relate to us? It's only through grace. Because if he related, related to us through justice, we would never be able to experience the love of God. And so this truth that he is testifying of, it is the love of the Father. It is the Father that's actually showing us his love through Christ. This is why he chose the cross. And he made sure that this kept going forward step after step after step even after Pilate tried four different times to get out of it. Jesus is saying, just let it happen. And he's comforting Pilate. Before Caiaphas, the trial was dead on arrival, but he gave Caiaphas the ammunition to take him before Pilate. We see every step of the way, Jesus is not only just not fighting it, but he's actually helping the crucifixion along because he chose the crucifixion. But why would he do this? He he did this so he could testify of the truth. But secondly, 
we also know there's a like I said, there's a lot of reasons for this. This is also for atonement of sins. And Obi talked about this last week. If you weren't here last week, you can still listen to that message on the podcast. So there's atonement involved here, but also the second point that we're going to talk about is he chose the cross so that we could die with him, so that we could be crucified with him. And this is found in Galatians 2. Galatians 2. Paul is talking about the law. And if you guys don't know uh, the law, the Jews had this understanding that, uh, that it was the law, following the law is what allowed them to access or gain righteousness. And there's some debate on how that worked. Uh, if obeying the law kept them in the covenant or if obeying the law was the covenant, whatever, we won't get into that. However, what, uh, what Paul is dealing with is he is addressing this law so he talks about in Galatians 2, 19, and we'll read this to the end of the chapter. Galatians 2, 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And again, this is a, a drum that Ovi has been beating for the past two, two weeks. And I'm going to keep talking about this as well. Is that what Paul says here is that it's nothing through the law that righteousness is imparted. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. And again, this is a result of our depravity. It's just impossible for us to manufacture any kind of righteousness that's, that's actually able to overcome our sin. And so let's back up and talk about what is in verse 19, this passage, uh, we talk about uh, being crucified with Christ. And I think that's a normal Christian thing to talk about, being crucified with Christ. But what do we actually mean by this? And I think verse 19 really kind of reveals uh, this or is easier to understand if we get our fingers around uh, verse 19. Paul says that for through the law, I died to the law. So what we mean by this, and throughout the book of Galatians, Paul builds this out any, uh, a lot more. We don't have time to get into all of this. But the law basically says that you must obey the law perfectly. And if you disobey any part of the law, then you disobey the entirety of the law. And so what Paul's talking about is, uh, is that it's through the law that I died, that I died. The reason why is because the verdict came down through the law. And what verdict is that? Death. Death is the verdict because he disobeyed the law. All of us have disobeyed the law. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. So if the verdict is death through the law, then he, when, he, when you die, you are also dead to the law. Paul also talks about this later in Galatians. It's almost like this, uh, this contract or a covenant. Uh, Paul uses the analogy of marriage. So imagine that you're married. Uh, if, you, if your spouse dies, then you're no longer married to them, right? The contract or the covenant doesn't exist anymore because both parties don't, they're not alive. Same thing with the law. Paul uses this analogy of marriage is that if you die to the law, then you are no longer, then you are, if you are dead, then you're dead to the law. The law no longer applies to you. And so you see what Paul's saying is that it's through the law, the verdict was passed down, which is death. 
So Paul then dies, and if he's die, if, if he died, then he's dead to the law, meaning the law no longer applies to him. He's a dead, he's a dead man, right? But how is this possible? How could you be dead and still live to reap the benefits of being dead to the law? This is where Christ's crucifixion comes in. Do we see how this is playing out and what Paul's building here? Is that it's through the law that the verdict of death was given to me. I didn't pay that price though. It was Christ. Christ is the one that paid that price. Death has been paid. Death has been satiated. The wrath of God has been, has been satiated through Christ. However, that means that we have died. We've only died in Christ. So if we died in Christ, this is where the second half of verse 19 comes in. So that I might live for God. And so this is, this is what we see is that, is that it was through the law that death was given to us. And we participated in that death in Christ. But then Christ resurrects from the dead, which means we also get to live for God in Christ. And so what the crucifixion does not only testifies of the truth that the father can relate to broken world, uh, to he can, a holy God can relate to a broken person. But what's more is that we are now alive in Christ. So it's for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And this is, uh, this is just a restoration of what we were meant to be. We were always created to live for God. And so this good news, Paul goes on to explain more. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, which again, sounds like bad news, but it's only bad news if we don't understand our depravity. And you see why we had to start off with depravity. We have to understand that we're broken people. We have to understand that the only way we escape the depravity is through death on a cross. But how do you participate in death on a cross and still live? That's only through Christ. And so it's through Christ that we have been crucified. And so if it's through Christ that we have been crucified, that means it's in Christ that we live. And Paul goes on to explain this. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And this in a nutshell is the gospel is that Christ came and died on a cross. His crucifixion was, was a means in which he chose the cross so that he could testify of the truth, so that he could make it clear to all of mankind that the father has come to us, that the father has extended grace to us and that we can now approach the father through Christ. But then he's also died on the cross so that we also have the opportunity to die with him, participate in his death. And in participating in his death, we also participate in new life with him. And this is all bound up in what Paul says in faith. It's faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is how we participate in his death. And so what I don't want you guys to hear is, oh, we're dead to the law. So none of the law applies to us. We can do whatever we want. Paul also talks about that at length. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the law no longer applies to us and that's only for your benefit because if it did apply to you, you would only find death. But what happens now is we are dead to the law, but now we live for God. And what does God want us to do? He wants us to 
live more abundantly. He wants us to adhere to certain social ethics. He wants us to love our neighbors. He wants us to love God. He wants us to, to chase after Christ and get more Christ in our lives. And it's, it's through this life that we now live life more abundant. So if you've never heard this good news, if this good news is new to you, or if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the crucifixion of Christ and what Christ has actually accomplished on the cross, Please come find me or Ovi or Raz. We'd love to talk to you about that. But this crucifixion offers us so much more than, uh, than maybe just some example. Some, some people will argue that Christ's sacrifice was just an example so that we know how to live a sacrificial life. It's so much more than that. It's through the cross that we, we know who the Father is. It's through the cross that atonement for our sins has been paid. And it's through the cross that we actually have the ability to live for God and live the way that God intended us to live. And that's live life more abundant. Let's go ahead and pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.